Good morning. I'm Peggy. Just a minute here. There. I'm reading from Exodus 16, verses 2 through 4. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right. Well, good morning, Redemption Church. Uh, my name is Jake. I'm one of the ministry residents here um, at the church. I primarily uh, speak to the youth group. I lead the youth group here. Um, and Dave uh, said, hey, here's uh, two full chapters, so get after it. Um, so we're going to be diving in today um, into Exodus 15. Um, if you don't have a Bible, um, raise your hand. We've got some people um, who have Bibles for you. Um, so raise your hand and you can get one. If you don't have one, this is our gift to you. Uh, by all means, take it home and keep it. Um, if you need one in Spanish, just to indicate that we have those as well. So like I said, we're going to be uh, starting at the end of uh, Exodus chapter 15, spending most of our time in chapter 16 and 17 today. Uh, and so before we get started, let me pray, um, and then we'll dive in. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you listen to us when we cry out. And as the song just, uh, just said, Lord, you are here, um, and you are present among us. Um, and Lord, you know our needs, and so when we call out to you, Lord, um, it's not falling on deaf ears. We're not uh, calling out to a brick wall. We're calling to a mighty and holy God. Um, and so, Lord, help remind us of that today, wherever we're at, whatever the needs that we have, Lord. Um, I pray that you would be so shown true and real um, and also good and loving um, this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you know me, um, but behind this kind of chiseled, athletic physique, wow, I wasn't expecting you guys to laugh at that. Wow, that's rude. Um, I, I, I'm actually somewhat of a, uh, of a geek. Be it Star Wars or Lord of the Rings or Marvel, um, I really enjoy these stories. And luckily for me, I found a wife who enjoys the same things, um, and which is really funny because last week, Dave kind of gave us a charge to like go to the U of A game. Um, and fill up the stadium. Um, I didn't go. Instead, we stayed home and we watched Spider-Man last night, um, which, by looking at the score, I think I made a good life decision um, by staying home. Sorry, sorry. If you're, if you're upset, my email is davegoffney at redemptionaz.com. <laughs> so, I'm somewhat of a geek. And how this really got started was really, as a kid, there was one line that really kind of shined and got this whole started for me, this interest in, um, in these things. 
got me hooked. And that line was, help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope. Now, almost all of us know where that line comes from. Um, Star Wars has dramatically changed the United States. It's changed uh, my life. It changed kind of how we view ourselves um, and a lot of different things about us. And that first movie, A New Hope, has put wonder and joy in the hearts of millions for the last 30-plus years. Now, there's a lot of different themes within Star Wars A New Hope, like light versus dark and triumphing over evil and all of that. But I think when it comes to Star Wars A New Hope, one of the predominant themes is that of rescue. And we know this because the first words that Luke says to Princess Leia is, I'm Luke Skywalker, and I'm here to rescue you. Now, here's one of the most frustrating things for me, watching that movie, and I remember this as a kid watching it, um, I remember this part where he says, I'm Luke Skywalker and I'm here to rescue you, and I remember being annoyed basically from that point on because this team of Luke and you know everyone else, if you've seen that movie, they travel across the galaxy, they board the most deadly space station in the entire universe, it's literally called the Death Star. They weave their way through it to find this princess, Princess Leia. And they get her out, and she may be one of the worst people to rescue in the history of everything. Because she's constantly complaining. For the 20 minutes or so when they rescue her from the jail cell uh, to eventually escaping the Death Star, she is constantly complaining and has constant just kind of negative words for her rescuers. So I wanted to kind of start off by showing you some of these uh, comments that she makes to her rescuers. Again, she's getting rescued out of prison, and these are some of the comments. She starts by almost immediately insulting the height of her rescuer. She goes on to say, well, great job. Looks like you've managed to cut off our only escape route. This is some rescue. When you came in here, did you have a plan for getting out? Put that thing away. You're going to get us all killed. Listen, I don't know who you are or where you came from, but from now on, you do as I tell you, okay? Will someone get this big walking carpet out of my way? And then finally, looking at their getaway vehicle, you came in that thing? You're much braver than I thought. See, the story of Princess Leia is really not unlike the Israelites. And really, also, it's not unlike uh, us as well. Last week, last week we looked at how God saved his people and they were singing and rejoicing over the salvation of the Lord, that he brought them through the Red Sea, that Moses, played by Charlton Heston, brought them out of the Red Sea. And they were worshiping and they were singing and they were happy. Well, this week things look a little bit different. Turn to Exodus chapter 15 if you haven't already. Israel has just been massively rescued from Egypt. They had the Passover. Um, they went through the Red Sea. And God was doing amazing things to get them out of slavery and out of Egypt. And they made it. They are rescued from the land of Pharaoh. They are out of Egypt. However, they're now in a desert. 
And I don't know about you, but I live in a desert, and there's not very much water, and there's not very much food in a desert. And so even though they've been rescued, they still have a very real need. And although God has done some massive things in the past, the Israelites need, them to, uh, need him to uh, show up again and, and provide for them. And it, 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 it's in this deep sense of need that we need something in the desert um, that these Israelites question God and say at the end of chapter 17, is the Lord among us or not? Is the Lord among us or not? Does he care? Is he here? But through providing for the needs of God's people, God is glorified in the Israelites and in turn also us get what we need. God is glorified in the Israelites and also us are provided what we need. So let's, let's dive in, and, and we're going to look at this uh, in, in a little bit different way. Um, we're looking at four different stories, we're looking at four different stories um, through the end of chapter 15, through 16, and then uh, all the way through chapter 17 as well. And in these four stories, it's going to look something like this. First, there's going to be a need identified. There's going to be a need identified. Something's wrong. The Israelites need something. Second, God uh, I'm sorry, Israel grumbles against God. They grumble, and we'll talk more about what grumbling means, but they grumble and complain against God for not uh, having what they need. Third, God hears their grumbling. He hears their grumbling, and, and, and last, God provides uh, for them. He provides for their needs. So my plan today is to quickly walk through these four stories. Quickly walk through these four stories, kind of explain what's going on, um, take a look at some of the highlights of each, each of the stories. Um, and then, because of these four stories are very similar, there's a lot of commonality. So I want to pull out some of those commonalities, some of those truths, and really just some ob ob observations from those four stories, and then we'll talk about that. So we're going to look through the stories, and then we'll look at some of the truths that these stories are trying to teach us about who God is. All right? So we track in stories first, um, and then observations. We good? All right, so the stories are broken down by their need, um, which I have them up here on the board. First, their need is water at the end of chapter 15. Then their need is food, um, starting in chapter 16. And then again, water at, uh, at the first half of chapter 17. And then finally, safety towards the end of the chapter um, uh, there. So water, food, some more water, and then some safety. So that's kind of how the next, these next two chapters are broken out. Um, but let's start at the end of chapter 15. So they've come out of Egypt, and they are now in a desert. And they've run out of water, and they came to this well, and the well was bitter. Now this is a serious thing, because there's hundreds of thousands of Israelites, not to mention all their cattle and chickens and everything, they else, uh, everything else they have with them, um, water is a big deal, and they need a lot of it. And so they grumbled against Moses to provide them water. And Moses throws a log into the water, and it became sweet. It was bitter, it became sweet. And I've always wondered what this sweet water tastes like. In my mind, I imagine something like sweet tea from Chick-fil-A, um, but I think it just really kind of means that the water was safe to drink. It was no longer bitter. And then God leaves them with this in, in verse 26 of chapter 15. 
If you diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. And so they eventually move on from this well in the desert. Um, So let's pick it up now in our second story um, in chapter 16. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So again, there's a problem. They've run out of food. And to consider for a second, they they haven't really run out of food because, like I said, they have a bunch of cattle with them, um, but maybe they're just not willing to uh, um, depart with those cattle just yet. Um, But their need is identified. They are hungry. Hundreds of thousands of people are hungry, and they need food. And they grumble. And there it is, that statement again that we've seen before when the Israelites were trapped by the Red Sea. Oh, that we would have died in Egypt from hunger, but you brought us out into the wilderness to kill us all. The last time they said that, that kind of uh, form of a sentence, was they were trapped by the Red Sea. Pharaoh's army was coming after them, and they said, were there no graves in Egypt? So you brought us out here to die. The last time they said that, the Lord provided an incredible way out by splitting a sea. He split the Red Sea in half, and so the Israelites could walk out of it. Which, by the way, this whole like, Red Sea and Passover thing was probably only about a month before this, because when God instituted the Passover, he said that, all right, we're going to start, this will be the first month. And it says now that it's the 15th day of the second month. So that whole Passover thing, you know, going through the Red Sea, all of that, only about a month before this, and they've already forgotten how God has provided in that way. In the same way that God provided a way out with the Red Sea, he's going to provide a way out of danger here. God is going to rain down bread from heaven, which, by the way, is a pretty miraculous way to get food to his people. So let's pick it up in verse 13. In the evening, quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was like uh, on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. And when the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? Now, I want to stop really quick on the what is it, because there's a really funny thing that happens here kind of linguistically. Um, So, all of Israel comes out in the morning, and there's like this fine frost-like thing um, on the ground, and they're all saying, what is it? What's going on? I'm sure somebody in the back is yelling, I hope it's gluten-free. Um, but but they're, they're all trying to figure out what it is, and they say, what is it? Now, later um, in, the, in the chapter, it says that they called it manna. But if you look uh, in your Bible, when it says, what is it in quotation marks, there's probably a footnote. And if you, tra- uh, if you follow that footnote down to the bottom, it says, in Hebrew, man who. And so, man who is the word for what is it. 
And so most scholars believe that they just kept the name of the first thing they called it. They first called it, what is it, which is man who? All right, we'll call it manna. That's the same thing. And so most scholars uh, think that they just kept that first name. And so the Israelites go out in the morning and collect this manna or bread uh, that has come down from heaven, and it would be enough to feed them for that day. So let's move on to our next story. God has provided food in the desert, but there's still some other needs. Let's move on to uh, chapter 17. We'll start to look at water again. All of the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore they quarreled with Moses and said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock of Oreb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name, uh, he called the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel. And uh, because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? So this time their need again is water. And as mentioned before, that's a very real need. There's hundreds of thousands of them. But the Israelites are starting, I don't know if you noticed this, but the Israelites are starting to get a little bit more bolder in their approach to Moses. Instead of saying, oh, this random rhetorical question, did you bring us out here to kill us? They're just straight getting bold and saying, give us water to drink. Their complaining has gotten more intense. And from what we know of the kind of full Exodus story, it only gets worse from here. But their complaining has gotten more intense, and Moses begins to wonder, are they going to mutiny and kill him because they don't have what they need? God tells him to pass on through the people, strike a stone, and water will come gushing out. And he does so, and water comes gushing out of this rock. Enough to satisfy their thirst. God provides again to his people, um, to his people's needs through miraculous ways. And in our last story, towards the end of chapter 17, the Israelites are attacked. So we're moving on to our last story of safety. Israelites are attacked by the kingdom of Malak. Now, the text doesn't say this, but I imagine some sort of question going, were there no graves in Egypt? So you brought us out here to be killed by the Amalekites? Um, Now, it doesn't say that, but I imagine that's what somebody's saying. Um, And so, let's pick it up in verse uh, verse 8 of chapter 17. Then Amalek came and fought with the Israelites at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek. While Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed, 
And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun, and Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. I feel like this is one of the stories in the Bible that's actually really funny. Um, uh, so you have Israel is attacked by Amalek, and here's, here's the deal. If Moses holds up his hands, Israel wins. But when he lowers them, Amalek starts to win and, and Israel starts to lose. And you know there's somebody in the Israelite army that's seeing this happen and go, do you even lift, bro? And so... But even through this weird and unseeming way of Moses lifting up his hand, hands, God provides safety for his people. Four different stories, four different needs, four different provisions from God. So what I want to do now is to look at all these stories as a whole and kind of draw out some commonalities or observations of truths uh, from what these, story, what these stories tell us about God and about ourselves. And so the first kind of observation or truth is that these stories reveal the truth of complaining. And that is, our complaining is actually against God. When we complain and we grumble, it's actually against God. And I pull this from uh, chapter 16, verse 8, and I'm just going to read it for us really quickly. And Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not a, against us, but it is against the Lord. So I've used this word grumbling a lot, and I haven't really explained what it means. Um, when we tend to think of grumbling or complaining, um, first of all, we don't really use that word grumbling uh, today, um, but when we think of complaining or grumbling, we tend to think of, oh, it's, it's kind of hot in here. I, I, I wish they would turn on the AC, don't you? Like, it's hot. I'm getting warm. Man, it's so hot. I wish they would turn on a fan. Or as my kids often say when we give them dinner, I don't like it. This food is yucky. And then we all know that one person who complains too much. And that's typically what we think of when we think of co uh, complaining or grumbling. But grumbling here in the scriptures is much, it's, it's much deeper. It's much bigger. It's not saying, oh, it's, it's, it's hot in here. It's saying, you put regular milk in my soy latte? I'm going to get you fired. It's an anger. It's a bitterness. It's a feeling like you're robbed of something that, that, that you deserve. And we grumble all the time. We grumble all the time, even if we're better at masking it than the Israelites are, or even this latte lady. When we grumble, we grumble because our jobs don't pay enough. We grumble because our managers don't respect us. We grumble because we don't have enough family time. We grumble because we have too much family time. We grumble that we can't find a spouse. We grumble at the potholes in the street. We grumble that the U of A can't win a game. We grumble that our kids disrespected us. We grumble because our teacher didn't grade fairly. We grumble because someone else got the job. We grumble because we feel stuck in a job we hate. We grumble, and we grumble, and we grumble, and we grumble. 
And all of this grumbling, complaining is because we feel robbed of something we deserve, and we're not getting it, and so we complain. And when we don't get it, we lash out in anger and in bitterness. And Moses here cuts us to the heart and says, your grumbling is not against all of those things. Your grumbling is against the Lord. Our grumbling is not against our manager, our job, our children, our spouse, our lack of spouse, our teacher, our life situation. Our grumbling is against God. Ultimately, our complaining is we do not think God is being fair or good to us. We are in need, and He is not providing what we need, so therefore I must show Him how upset I am by grumbling and complaining. Our fight against grumbling is a fight to believe in the goodness of God. I remember what this felt like years ago. Uh, Abigail and I uh, were recently married. Uh, We moved uh, back to Tucson uh, from San Diego, um, and I got a job as a car salesman. I was not a good car salesman. And when you're not a good car salesman, you, you don't make money. Um, that's kind of how that works. Um, and so uh, we were getting by, but the weight of school loans and rent and everything else was starting to weigh on us. Every day was a hard struggle. Then some friends of mine came in, uh, friends from high school came in to buy a car from me. And he, uh, they had recently got married like we were, and he got hired on as an engineer at a, uh, at a firm here in Tucson, and um, he needed a new car. And uh, she was uh, the daughter of one of the managers at the dealership. And so um, we went through a thing. We, we found him a car that he liked, uh, and we started the, the whole negotiation process, and he just started whittling down, whittling down, whittling down, often in a very unkind way. He wanted to pay way, be- way below like the friends and family discounts, and the dealership was already losing a lot of money on this uh, deal in the first place. And I knew I wasn't going to make very much money that night. And then he said the words that I will probably never forget. I could probably buy three of these cars. I remember being so angry. I wanted to reach up and punch him in the face. Here was this guy who was proud that he could buy three cars right now, and Abigail and I were were wondering where our next rent bill was going to come from. I was angry. Eventually, the manager cut a deal, and we went our separate ways, and I was angry at him. And what Moses is telling me here is that I was truly angry at God. God had not provided something that I felt that I deserved. When we grumble and complain, we have to look past the issue that we're complaining about and ask ourselves, why am I so upset? Why am I so upset that I don't have whatever it is that I want? Truth number two, when we complain, God hears us, which I think is just fascinating and incredible about these four events. These Israelites grumble, and they grumble, and they grumble, and it repeatedly says that God hears their grumbling. He heard their grumbling when they were slaves in Egypt, and He called Moses. He hears their grumbling now when they have no food and no water. Now, I don't want you to take this and think, oh, okay, so I need to complain in order to get God to hear me and do what I want. No, In these situations, grumbling is never seen in a positive light. It's almost always seen negative. 
Complaining is not, is not a good way to trick God into getting what you want. Moses renames an area of land quarreling because of the grumbling against God. This kind of whole hearing and grumbling or grumbling and hearing concept that we see in these stories is not meant to show us how to get God to do what we want Him to do, like He's some spiritual vending machine, but rather it's to show us the nearness of a God who cares, the nearness of a God who cares. As James says in the New Testament, what causes quarrels and fights among you, you do not have because you do not ask. Or as in the book of Hebrews, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And this idea of grumbling and hearing is directly related to that question that they ask at the end of chapter 17. Is the Lord among us or not? Which is a strange question when you think of it because there is literally a pillar of fire at the center of their camp. You want to say, is the Lord among us? He's right there, and he's a pillar of fire. And not to mention, he saved us in the Red Sea, quite amazingly, a couple months ago. But this question of, is the Lord among us or not, is not, is he here, but, but does he care? Does he care? Does he care that we're thirsty? Does he care that we're hungry? And I'm here to tell you, Redemption Church, that God is here, and he does care, and he does want to provide you with the things that you need. Go to him. Don't grumble, but ask him. Ask him because you don't have, and he's a giver of good gifts. Third, third truth. When God provides, he provides completely. Let's look at verse uh, 16, chapter 16, verse 17 and 18. They're going out and getting the bread that has come uh, down from heaven, and they say, and Israel did so, and they went out and grabbed Um, And they went out and gathered. They gathered some more and some less. But when they measured it with an omer, which it says at the end, uh, an omer, if you didn't know, is the tenth of an ephah, which apparently that helps um, how much that is. I I don't know. Um, And then the the footnote uh, for ephah at the the bottom says it's 22 liters, which still doesn't really help. Um, So they went out and they gathered a bunch of manna. And whoever gathered little had no lack, and whoever gathered much had nothing left over. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And so when it comes to this, they go out and they gather, and they have exactly what they need. If they gathered a lot, they had enough. And if they gathered little, they still had enough. And so everyone gathered what they needed, whether a little or a lot, and they had what they needed for that day. And as, as I look back on my life, I, I, I see this come true time and time again. When I was in need, God provided. Whether financial or emotional or spiritual, I always had what I needed for that day. How much of our anxiety, Redemption Church, comes from something that is going to happen tomorrow or three weeks from now or five months from now? God provides what we need for today. As uh, the book of Matthew says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Are you not more valuable than a bird? 
Or listen to Psalm 37. I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He, God, is ever lending generously, and his children have become a blessing. Your Father, God, knows what you need, and he will provide you enough for today. Fourth truth, God provides through means, through means. What I mean, what I mean by this um, is that more often than not, in Scripture and in our lives, um, God does not magically or spiritually just kind of poof something into, into existence. He almost always uses something else to do his work. He uses the log to make the bitter water sweet. He uses the dew in the morning to bring forth the bread. He uses the splitting of the rock to bring forth water. And he uses Moses' arms to bring forth safety. So often, we want a miraculous provision from God. And that does happen, but not often. And so much we're, we're so expecting this miraculous provision that we often miss the very ordinary ways that God provides for us. The money we get from a job is a miraculously ordinary provision. The friend calling us in a time of need is a miraculously ordinary provision. The guy who jumpstarts our car when we break down is a miraculously ordinary provision. That friend we have in school that helps us get through the day is a miraculously ordinary provision. That gift from a grandparent is a miraculously ordinary provision. Church and worship and communion are miraculously ordinary ways that God gives us grace and reminds us of that grace. God is constantly a giver of good gifts, but he tends to use ordinary ways to get us those gifts. So don't miss those. Don't miss those. Fifth, how we manage God's provision matters. How we manage God's provisions matters. Let's pick it up uh, in chapter 16 again, verse 20. Verse 20. So they go out and they gather uh, this manna, but they did not listen to Moses and some of them left part of it until the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning and uh, By morning they gathered it, each as much as they could eat, but when the sun grew hot, it melted. So Moses commanded them, hey, only get what you need for the day, which we already mentioned, they get enough for the day, but some of them want to store it away, and it says the next morning it bred worms and it stank. Um, and so... God commands them here to gather for that day. The next day, this manna is useless, and they would have to go out and get some more the next day. Furthermore, he commanded them to gather twice as much on Friday, or the fifth day, um, and so they wouldn't have to gather on the Sabbath or, or Saturday. Now, we'll get in more to the Sabbath and what's going on there later in Exodus, um, but the seventh day or, uh, or Sabbath was meant for rest, was meant for rest. And so they weren't supposed to work. And so Israelites didn't listen and they went out and they didn't find manna on Saturday because um, they did not listen. It wasn't there. So just kind of two quick things about managing God's provision. He's provided for us. What does that mean for us uh, to manage it? How we manage God's provision, what he's given us, shows us whether or not we actually trust and have faith in God. 
hoarding manna revealed that the Israelites did not trust God to provide manna tomorrow. So let's say you're wanting God to provide a job or a new manager or a spouse or relief from pain. What you do or what have you done when, God, when you receive those things that you've been asking for? How do you handle it? What do you do with the finances of a new job or professor that's nicer to you or God finally provides you a girlfriend? How we manage the gifts that God gives us shows us whether or not we trust God and we trust him and whether or not he will continue to provide. If we hoard it, if we spend it on the things we want, then it's really just the provision that we want. It's not God who provides it. Second, God provides enough for us to rest. And this is hard here in America, and it's specifically hard, and I've seen it here in Redemption Church, including myself. We are exhausted. We are working hard. And what this is showing us is that God not only provides us enough to work, but also provides enough for us to rest. He provided enough on Friday so they could rest on Saturday. Our lack of rest may reveal that we don't truly trust God to continue to provide. So stop and rest. You have enough. We feel that we constantly have to keep going. And at its heart, this idea of going, going, going shows us that we don't really believe God to provide. So I have to take it into my own hands and do it myself. It's a faith and trust issue. And the sixth observation um, or truth, God provides so that we may see him and glorify him. The provision of manna and the provision of water was never meant to end with the Israelites getting full bellies. It was always supposed to point to the amazing God. Look at uh, uh, chapter 16, verse 7, verse 7. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against uh, us? And pick it up also in verse 10 uh, down a little ways. And, and as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness. And behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I've heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. And here's why. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. God is making himself known in a world where he's been long forgotten and provision for our needs helps us to look towards him. And thank and give honor to the Lord who has provided. You shall see the glory of the Lord when he provides. And this is made very clearly known, as we mentioned, in the manna, um, where he literally says, see the glory of the Lord. But there's another really cool way that I want to point out um, here with the the, the water and the rock. Um, Look at uh, chapter 17, verse 5. Chapter 17, verse 5. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take your hand and the staff which you struck the Nile, and go. And I want to focus in on that word, pass on before the people, because that's a really crucial term. 
Whenever we see, uh, almost every single time we see this kind of pass on or pass before in Scripture, it means to show or reveal glory and majesty. And we've already seen it in Exodus, uh, Exodus 12, 23. For the Lord will pass through, there it is, pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over and will not allow the destroyer to enter your house to strike you. Or also here in Exodus 33, and he said, this is God, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and you will proclaim my name, the Lord. I will be gracious on whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. This glory passing by, showing the glory of the Lord. We also see this with Jesus, which really blew my mind when I, when I read this. Mark six forty eight. Jesus is walking on water, and he saw that they were ma- making headway painfully, the disciples, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, Jesus came to them, walking on the sea, and he meant to pass them by, walking on the water, revealing his glory, passing them by. God is ultimately showing his glory and his amazingness and his majesty in providing for his people. But these events here in Exodus 16 and and 17 are meant to point us to a better provision. The Israelites who ate this manna and drank this water from the rock became hungry and thirsty again. These provisions were meant to point us to something better, to better manna and to better water. These provisions were meant to point us to Christ, meant to point us to our complete provision in Christ. Look at John 6, 48 through 51. John 6, 48 through 51. This is Jesus. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, the true bread that comes down from heaven, that no one, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Christ is the better manna. Christ is the ultimate provision. Furthermore, listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, talking about the Israelites here in chapter 17 and 16, and all passed through the sea, the Red Sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And look at this, that rock was Christ. God did not merely provide you with food and water and safety. He provided that which we truly needed, salvation. Christ came and bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might be dead to sin and alive to righteousness. So Redemption Church, we can trust Christ and we can trust God to provide for our daily needs because of the commitment that he showed to provide us salvation. And that's exactly what it says here in Romans 8.32. Listen to this. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? The cross, 
The cross shows us our commitment or God's commitment to us to provide for our daily needs. The cross shows us God's commitment to provide for us our daily needs. Listen to the, this is John Flavel. He was a, a, a 1600s pastor out of England, um, and he's commenting on this Romans 8.32 passage, and it's, it's really amazing. So he starts off by quoting Romans 8.32, and he says, How is it imaginable that God should withhold after this spiritual or temporal from his people? How shall he not clothe them and feed them and protect them and deliver them? Surely... If he would not spare his own son, one stroke, one tear, one groan, one sigh, one circumstance of misery, it can never be imagined that he should, after all of this, deny or withhold from his people. For whose sake all of this was suffered, any mercies or any comforts or any privileges, spiritual or temporal, which is good for them." So Redemption Church, in those days when you're asking that question, is the Lord among us? And you're struggling to believe that the Lord is among you and and He will provide what you need, I encourage you to look to the cross because it is there where God shows His glory the clearest and you get everything you need. And if surely He did not spare His own Son, He will graciously give us all things. And so Redemption Church, Trust in the cross where God shows his commitment to you to provide for your needs. Let's pray. God, you are good, you are amazing, and you have provided everything we need. Now that we respond, um, Lord, help us to respond to you as a giver of good gifts and giver of all things. Thank you, Lord, for your love for us, and thank you um, that you have made yourself known to us. In Jesus' name, amen.